Thank you for listening to the Maranatha Free Lutheran Church Sermon Archive. It's our hope that this message would encourage you in your faith and would help you to get to know God's love, grace, and mercy in a personal way. If you have any questions on the sermon or would like to know more about Maranatha, please visit us on the web at maranathafreelutheran.com or call our church office at 218-498-2808. Thank you, and may God bless. It's good to have each of you here for this occasion. I want to ask you today, why, why do we do this business that we call confirmation? Why do we have youth come here on Wednesday nights for an hour uh, for two years? What do we do in class all those weeks? And is what we, what we cover really needed? Is it relevant to these youth? Uh, and is it getting through to them? I want to be brutally honest with you and say that both Pastor Ryan and myself have asked questions like that a few times this year. Uh, and we've wondered at times, are, are we hitting the target? Uh, is it getting through? Sometimes it's hard to tell. This past year has been a tough one for a lot of students. Their attention spans have been severely challenged by weeks of uh, public school classes online instead of in person. And students have been shortchanged as a result. And, and uh, they, they've come on Wednesday nights here then kind of antsy. Uh, starving for some social interaction. And we made them sit for an hour uh, for confirmation instruction. And, and we tried uh, to modify a bit to make it more interactive, um, but keeping the content that we believe is still relevant to today's teens, even as it was for me when I was confirmed about 45 years ago. Confirmation is intended to be more than a rite of passage. It's an investigation into the central beliefs of the Christian faith. It's a time to ask, what is this Christian faith that I was baptized into as a child? Do I really want understand what it's all about? And do I personally believe those things myself or not? So I'd like to take you are gathered here today into the heart of those two years of confirmation instruction. And as I try to sum up what those two years are all about, uh, focusing in on a brief passage of scripture in Romans chapter 3. And if you have Bible, you're welcome to turn to that with me. And I, and I trust that this can be an opportunity for all of us today to examine what we believe and for many to confirm their own personal Christian faith. I invite you to stand in reverence to God's word as, as I read. Romans chapter 3, verse 23 and 24. Sum it all up. And there it says this, For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, being justified as a gift by his grace through the redemption which is in Christ Jesus. Let us pause and pray. Lord, we thank you for this, your word. We thank you for this day and the opportunity to uh, confirm a personal faith in, in the hearts and lives of some of our young people. May it also be a time for each one of us to consider what we believe and why. And Lord, we pray that these uh, two verses here would, would be clear, that the law and the gospel would be very clear for each one of us in our minds and in our hearts, in our response to you. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Please be seated. So why do we do this? 
What is it that these six students are confirming today? Well, in order for any of our instruction here to connect with the students, and what I say to connect with you here today as well, we have to start with a very basic orientation, and that is about the existence of God himself. <clears throat> Belief in a supreme being who is over us and to whom we humans then are answerable. Well, how do we know that such a supreme being even exists? Here's what I learned was the answer in the catechism 45 years ago when I went through this. I know that there is a God from the world's creation, its preservation, and its government, from my conscience, which is troubled when I do wrong and rejoices when I do right, and from the Holy Scriptures, wherein he more clearly reveals himself to me. All of us, if we are honest with ourselves, cannot shake those three realities. That this world, with all of the amazing details that we see in nature, did not just happen by chance, but it did have a master designer. And second, that, that I have, personally then, this unshakable perspective that there are some human behaviors that are clearly right or wrong, and I'm internally bothered when I violate those standards. And then thirdly, that there is something about this book, the Bible, that sets it apart from any other ever written. The span of human history that it covers is amazing with its diversity of authors and its central theme then still so clearly pointing to this one person named Jesus Christ. And sometimes when I read in this book, I feel very convicted about something I've done. There are other times I am encouraged by what it tells me about God. And now with those three things in your mind, with that very foundational understanding of the existence of Creator God and Him speaking to us through our conscience and through the Bible, let's look at those two verses I mentioned in Romans 3. And there we see first of all this, that God has a standard that He holds up for human behavior. Much of our modern society has decided to pretend that God doesn't exist. Or that if he does, his standards are changing to keep up with the culture, rather than the culture needing to align itself with the standards of its creator. In the first year of confirmation instruction, then we address that head on. And we teach God's Ten Commandments. The first three of those commandments all have to do with our relationship with God. And in them, then, we learn this, that there is only one God in whom we then are to fear and love and trust above all things. And we're not to misuse his name, nor are we to neglect a regular pattern of rest from our labor to refocus and hear his word. And that is essential stuff to teach our youth, because we live in a culture that encourages them to believe that there is no supreme being or else that there are lesser gods. A culture that makes God's name into a swear word or a joke. A culture that has rejected the practice of a day set aside to worship and that considers the Bible to be really just a human book that's really severely flawed and whose followers then tend to be radical and maybe even dangerous. Well, the other seven commandments all have to do with our relationship with our fellow man. And they address things like our attitude toward our parents and those in authority, the value of each human life, our understanding of human sexuality, respecting each person's private property, honesty in our communication, and contentment in what God has given us. 
And those also are essential things to teach our youth. Because there is a movement in our culture to reject the conventional view of the family, to devalue human life, to reinvent the concepts of gender and sexuality, to redistribute um, private property, and to excuse the practice of deception. Well, God has set 10 absolute standards of right and wrong. And we must hold them up as perfect standards for every human being to live up to, or live, to live by, I should say. Romans 3.23 tells us all this, that all of us have sinned, and we are falling short of that standard. That very word sin in the original Greek language illustrates that. It, it's an archer's term meaning to miss the mark. All of us have missed the mark. It's like if we were taking a bow and arrow and pulling back on the string, aiming at the bullseye, and that arrow falls short of the target. That's what each of us have done. We have at least some of the time aimed at being good, doing good, but we have not achieved it. Each of us in the past have failed to live up to the standards that we have been aiming for, and we have definitely failed in achieving the standard that God has told us we are to pursue. Not only have we done that in the past, but we continue falling short of God's perfect standard each and every day. And that is the depressing reality that we live in. But not only are we disappointing ourselves and our fellow man, but we are also then falling short of what God says is required of us in order to get to heaven when we die. It's like if we were all to then line up on the California coast with intentions of swimming to Hawaii. Now some of you are good swimmers and you might make it out there a ways, at least a whole lot farther than I would. My swimming abilities haven't developed a whole lot more since I took beginning swimming as a senior in college and it took me two weeks to relax enough to float. Some of you are advanced way beyond that. Maybe even some of you got certified to be a lifeguard. And so you might get a couple miles out in the ocean maybe even, but I bet none of you could swim to Hawaii. And so it is with all of us. When it comes to our being good enough to earn our way to heaven, all of us have sinned and we are falling short of what it takes. None of us will ever be good enough to make it on our own. We've sinned over and over in thought and in word and in deed. And the Bible says that we deserve for our continual failures and our rebellion the judgment of God and even hell itself. However, the next verse is great. There it tells us in verse 24 that it is still possible for sinners, even though all that is true, to be justified in the sight of God. Being justified, it says, as a gift by his grace. Besides the Ten Commandments, uh, which establishes in God's perfect standards for human behavior and show us what sinners we are, in that first year of confirmation instruction, they also then are, are taught the Apostles' Creed which is really a summary of who God is and, and what he has done for sinners like you and I. And, and there we learn then about the Holy Trinity, God the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And while understanding the Trinity is, is always somewhat of a mystery to our finite minds, yet the Bible clearly reveals to us that God loves us and that he wants us sinners to be restored to a relationship with him and that he has done everything to make that possible. And so he offers us then an amazing gift of being justified in his sight. 
that is looked on by God just as if we had never sinned. That word justified is a legal term. It, it's, that, it's a judge announcing that not guilty verdict. We are declared by God as righteous or not guilty in his sight, even though we know what sinners we are. Well, how is that possible? It says being justified as a gift by his grace through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. It's through redemption in Jesus Christ. Here, the, the, the second part of the Apostles' Creed talks about that there. It explains Jesus and who he was and what he did. And, and uh, we, we uh, recite that uh, here regularly. I'm going to ask you to just jump in with me and say it with me if you, if you remember. The, the middle part of the Apostles' Creed goes, I believe in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, dead, and buried. He descended into hell. The third day he rose again from the dead. He ascended into heaven and sits on the right hand of God the Father Almighty. From there he will come to judge the living and the dead. There in that second article of the Creed, we confess that Jesus Christ was fully God's Son and that he did something amazing for us, that he redeemed us or he accomplished redemption for us. And now that word redemption, that's kind of a theological word. You probably don't hear it anyplace else except at church. What does it mean? By definition, redemption is the action of regaining or gaining possession of something in exchange for a payment or, or clearing a debt. The explanation that these students learned that first year and some of them had to recite just last Wednesday night here uh, of the second article says this, I believe that Jesus Christ, true God, begotten of the Father from eternity, and also true man, born of the Virgin Mary, is my Lord, who has redeemed me. A lost and condemned person bought and freed me from all sin, from death, and from the power of the devil. How did he do this? It goes on to say, not with silver or gold, but with his holy and precious blood and his innocent suffering and death. Jesus on the cross paid our debt. He, the sinless one, experienced the wrath of God that we sinners deserved. And as he hung on the cross, his blood was shed in our place. He paid the price to buy us back. As I think of that word redemption, or being redeemed, and what that means here, there, there's a story I learned way back that, that, to me, illustrates this in a way that really helps. It's the story of a little boy who uh, made himself a boat out of wood. And he was so proud of this boat, he, he decided, I've got to take this down to the river and, and try it out. And he did so. And, and he found that the river water was running fast, and it, it got away from him, and, and he lost his boat. He was very sad about that. And it was weeks later that as he was walking downtown, um, walking by a store, he saw a boat in the window of that store, and it looked an awful lot like his boat. He went into the store and took a look at it, and, and sure enough, this was the very boat that he had made. He went up to the owner and said to him, Sir, that boat there in the window, that's mine. I made that. And the man said, Well, I paid for it, and if you want, you may buy it. Here's what it costs. The boy went home and, and did odd jobs to earn what he needed in order to be able to buy that boat. He came back, and, and he brought his money to the owner there, and, and he said to him, Here, sir, I, I'd like to buy that boat. As he was walking out of the store with it and going down the street, he looked at his boat and he said, you know what, you're, you're twice mine. I made you and now I bought you back. Jesus, 
redeemed us. He, he bought us back. We had wandered from our Creator, and Jesus' death on the cross paid the penalty that we deserved, and His love then drew us back into a relationship with our Creator. This redemption is, a, is, is completely a gift. And just like that boat couldn't do anything to get itself back to the, its rightful owner, neither can you or I do anything to redeem ourselves. It makes this then a completely a gift of God's grace. Grace is getting good things that we don't deserve. In the second year of confirmation instruction, we talk about the means that God gives, or that he uses to, to confirm to us his invisible grace. You, you see, forgiveness of sin and, and eternal life, they're, they're not something you can see with your physical eyes. But they are very real nonetheless. And, and so God then uses some things that we can see to help us understand and receive that amazing grace that we can't see. One of those things is, is the Bible. And that's why our congregation gives a, a Bible to second graders during Sunday school and then now a study Bible to our second year confirmation students. Because the Bible is God's word. And, and, and so reading it and hearing it throughout our life will help us to trust in Jesus and, and to continue to receive his grace and forgiveness. But besides the Bible, there's another thing that God uses to help us to understand his grace. And that's what we call the sacraments. In our Lutheran church, that includes then baptism and the Lord's Supper. And we focused on them th this year in our classes. And uh, we practice infant baptism here at Maranatha. And, and in a way, that's an interesting picture to us then of the grace of God. And, and most of you are, who are in the confirmation class here were brought to the Lord as a helpless little baby. And water was then poured on you according to God's word, and you were declared then a child of God. You couldn't at that point do a thing to earn that status, but just passively receive it. That's a picture of God's grace. But now you are at this point in your life, you, you've been brought to this point where you must ask that question yourself. Is this faith that I was baptized into my own? Do I currently in my own heart then know that I'm a sinner and trust in Jesus as my Savior? And am I living my life in daily repentance and faith? And that brings us to the sixth and last point I want to make here today. God wants each and every one of us personally to know in our hearts that I've been redeemed and I'm fully justified. And I have the privilege of, of meeting with each of these students personally and, and talking to them one at a time about their relationship with the Lord and how they can be sure in their hearts their sins are forgiven and that if they died tonight, they, they know they'd go to heaven. And it's a joy to talk with them about those things and, and to pray with each of them about it. In a few minutes, we're going to be celebrating the sacrament of the Lord's Supper. And that also is a great picture of God's grace. And you who are here have opportunity to partake of that today as well. And if you do come forward to receive that, recognize that you are receiving much more than a little snack. It's a very little snack. Um, that's what you see, though, with your physical eyes. A little wafer and wine or some grape juice in a little cup. But there's more to it than that. There's something invisible going on as well. As you in your heart are honest with God about your sins, you come forward then to receive from him more than just bread and wine, but also invisibly present is the body and blood of our Lord Jesus Christ. And so God is desiring then to confirm to all repentant sinners his saving grace and forgiveness through the blood of Christ that was shed when he died on the cross. 
You don't need to be a member here at Miranathan in order to partake. But you do need to be honest with God about any sin in your life. And you do need to believe that Jesus died to forgive those sins. I'm going to be sharing a word of exhortation before anybody comes up. Um, and as I do that, that's an opportunity to then quietly in your hearts be honest with God about anything you need to. I want to make it clear, though. There are some reasons to partake of communion, and there are also reasons not to partake. If you just want to come up and see what it tastes like, don't come up for it. If you uh, have different beliefs that aren't compatible with what we're teaching here, then it'd be best for you not to come up. If you have personal unresolved issues with God or with somebody else, then those things should be resolved first. There may be other reasons not to take communion today as well, and each of us know in our own hearts. And it needs to be left with individuals to decide. However, if you are one that is feeling like you're an unworthy sinner, that is the very reason that communion is offered. As you take in then the bread and the wine, you're also receiving Jesus in your heart and the forgiveness of sin that he offers you. And he wants you to be assured that if you are honest with him about your sin, there is full forgiveness and you are redeemed, or as it said here, you are fully justified. And then that means then that God, through the wonder of your belief in Jesus, looks on you who trust in Jesus just as if you'd never sinned. There's one other aspect of our two years of confirmation instruction here. The first year we spend um, going through the uh, Ten Commandments and the Creed. The second year we focus on the Lord's Prayer as well as the sacraments and learning the different parts of the Lord's Prayer really as a model for our own prayer life. You see, Jesus didn't just save us from eternity in hell. He also redeemed us so that we would live this earthly life um, knowing a personal daily relationship with him. And it's my hope then for each compliment here today and, and for all the rest of us as well that we know that we can come to the Lord in prayer at any time and about anything. Jacoby quoted from the Catechism, one of the questions I asked him here about what prayer is. Prayer is simply talking to God silently or out loud from my heart. You don't need fancy words. You don't even need to speak them with our lips, though I encourage you to do so. And I love this verse in the Psalms that, that, that is about prayer and, and tells us about God. Then trust in him at all times, O people. Pour out your heart before him. God is a refuge for us. Well, there you have it. That's what we try to cover in our two years of confirmation instruction with the hope that it will result in, in each one then confidently confirming their trust in Jesus for forgiveness of sin and eternal life and, and then living in a personal relationship with him today. And, and hopefully that's something that will continue throughout their life. Two years of confirmation instruction isn't a guarantee of that, though. We can teach all these things for two years and a student can choose to ignore or reject it all. But our hope and our prayer is that some of what they hear will never be forgotten and it will be a good start to a lifetime of living in a relationship with the Lord. I want to ask you today, how about you? Are you also then confirming that you believe these things today? That you know you're a sinner falling short of God's righteous standard but also know Jesus as your Savior from sin and are seeking to walk in a relationship with Him? Let's pray. Lord God, we just thank you for 
this word and a reminder to us of what confirmation is all about here in our church. We pray that, Lord, personal recognition of our, of our own sin and of our need for Jesus would be true for each one of us here today. And especially, Lord, we pray for those that have taken the step of confirming their faith publicly, that you would keep them in the faith and strengthen them, Lord, even as they come forward for communion today. We ask your blessing on, on each of them. And as they celebrate uh, with family and friends, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.